Well, as you're very aware of, we are in the middle of a political season, and uh, we have just seen the first shot over the bow, or the second or third, and it will continue on. You all will remember when you tell your grandkids that the Lord hasn't come back first about 2020, uh, I guarantee you, you're going to have stories about this year. But one of the things that is very hard, and you'll learn this as you go through uh, supporting one president or candidate for governor or whatever after another, you get your hopes up, and then only to see the candidate really disappoint you when they're actually in office. You have that exhilaration when they get in, and then, oh my, um, they aren't quite what you thought they were going to be, they're not keeping their promises, they're not following through. And uh, I had that experience uh, definitely. Uh, I still appreciate President Ronald Reagan, but his second term was a great disappointment and uh, was uh, a real letdown. You know, I'd met him, I, and then I got to go to the White House and uh, the uh, executive building and, and uh, get to meet with his advisors. And, I, you know, I had it's just really, you had these high hopes, but of course, understanding his background and all you can understand why some of the things were the way they were. So you have this letdown. Uh, we all were just thankful when uh, George W. Bush got in. And then my what a letdown is that presidency unfolded. Again, this is old news to you all, or ancient history. But uh, uh, it was, uh, this has happened time after time. Uh, and so it's really hard not to count on someone that is going to have an impact on your life uh, by the decisions that they make. But I hate to tell you that's going to happen many more times to you in the future just because of the frailty of man. Well, I've got great news for you. There is one that will never let you down. And that's who I want to talk to you about today. And it's going to be very important for your focus to be on him. I'm going to give a doctrinal lesson that is a very practical application. This morning I want to talk about the immutability of God. One of the great attributes of God that I meditate on every morning. I love to meditate on the attributes of God in the first section of the, of the uh, hour with the Lord. But the attributes, one that always resonates in my heart and often I come back to it, is this matter of immutability, the unchangeableness of our God. Hebrews chapter 13, we're all very familiar with the verse about the Lord Jesus. Jesus, verse 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, as you grow in the Lord, and as you go through life, you're going to find the truth about the fact that God can be trusted to be immutable, to be the anchor for your soul, the anchor for your faith. C.H. Spurgeon said, He is immutable. He will not change. He is all-wise. He need not change. He is perfect. He cannot change. So I want you to listen to these simple truths. I'm going to read a number of different scriptures as I go along just to emphasize points in the initial part of this message. 
But if you can get this deep in your heart, the immutability of your God, it will really help you in a practical way. Well, first of all, simply God does not change. Let me give a definition. There are a number of good definitions of immutability, but I find Ryrie's to be the most helpful. Immutability means that God is unchangeable and thus unchanging. This does not mean that he is immobile or inactive. That's very important. But it does mean that he is never inconsistent or growing or developing. So that, there's a lot of angles to that. But the fact is that God is immutable, but he is very much involved in our lives. And we're going to try to unfold that a little bit here uh, this morning. Malachi 3.6, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. It's a good thing I wasn't, I am not changeable. I keep my covenants. James 1.17, we often quote, Every good and perfect gift cometh from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Psalm 102.26, They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, speaking of the heavens there, and thy years have no end. So here are some of the attributes, or aspects, uh, that are affected by his immutability. Then I'm going to come back and look a little bit more specifically at them. His, uh, his power is unchanging. Romans 4.20 and being 21. Uh, let me go back to verse 20. This is Abraham counting on the immutability of God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. He is immutable in his power, and that's just a glorious thing. His plans and his purposes, Isaiah 46.10, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. We often think of his promises, and I'll come back to this, but uh, he is immutable in that. First Kings 8.56, Blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto his people Israel according to all that he had promised. There hath not one word of all his good promise which he had promised by the hand of Moses his servant. There hath not failed one word. Second Corinthians 1.2, For the promises of God in him, Christ and yea, are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. One of the great themes of the Psalms is the immutability of his love and his mercy. You find it over and over and over again. Uh, Psalm 103:17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Malachi 3:6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. And his justice. Uh, Genesis 18:25, be that it be far from thee to do after this matter to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right. Now, folks, 
you're going to find as you go through life that this matter of the immutability, the unchanging nature of your God is going to be an anchor to your soul because this world will be very different 20 years from now. Things that you were counting upon will be different. People will disappoint you. You will become more, less and less enamored by the human race. You really will. A lot of people get cynical. You just need to understand what the Bible says and it doesn't uh, throw you. But you're going to find that there, are, there is nothing on this planet that you can really count on. But it is not a problem when you understand the immutability of your God. And as far as his justice, for instance, you can't coax God into changing. And I want you to realize, and this will help you, this is why the world hates God. He, because you cannot get your own way. God doesn't change. What God has said about morality is still true. It was true when Noah's, at Noah's time, when God had to destroy the earth, it is true today. It has not changed. And that is why it is so tragic how even evangelical churches will adapt what they preach and teach based upon cultural pressures. Uh, the Word of God does not change. Jonathan Edwards, in a sermon entitled, Men Are Naturally God's Enemies. He states that human beings hate God as an infinitely holy, pure, and righteous being. His omnipotence is a holy omnipotence, and His omniscience is a holy omniscience. He states they do, he goes on, Edwards does to state that uh, they do not like His immutability because by this He never will be otherwise than He is an infinitely holy God. In other words, you cannot get Him to agree with you about sin he is always holy. You can't negotiate. Uh, you can't compromise and think you can get away with it. Man cannot come up with their own writings at all. God is holy and His standard of holy has not changed. And I'm telling you, you will take a bit of a beating for that because you will be narrow-minded. You will be uh, uh, seen as uh, unthinking uh, if you hold to what the Word of God says. And so that is why, I mean, I hate to say it, but you could sense it last night in the State of the Union. There is a hatred against the absolute, thus saith the Lord. And there is a wanting for, for mankind to be in control in all the changeable thinking of man based upon their desires and their ways. There's a huge uh, painting hanging in the Supreme Court building in the country of Switzerland. It was painted by a man named Paul Robert. And the title is Justice Instructing the Judges. In the foreground are the litigants, representatives of wife against the husband, architects against the builder, and so forth. Above them stand the Swiss judges in the old-time um, judge outfits and the, and the wigs and so forth. And, and so it just opens up, how are they supposed to judge? Well, the art, artist's answer is simply this. Justice, which you've probably seen, is, is blindfolded and her sword is vertical. Well, in this painting, she's unblind, unblindfolded and her sword is pointing down to a book that is written on it, the Word of God. And a very good picture of that's how you judge because the judge of the earth will do right. You can't get around God's judgment. See, our founders were not all believers, but they were smart enough to understand justice 
and right and wrong does come from the Word of God. They understood that. And that was at the very core of what our country is. That's why it's so frustrating today uh, in all of that. But I'm telling you, unsaved world cannot stand um, the, uh, uh, this fact that God is unchanging. The rising star in the Democratic Party, I don't think he's going to make it, but the uh, mayor of, uh, of uh, South Bend, or was, uh, is... Um, uh, he has his own interpretation of what the Bible says about sin. And, of course, he's living in open defiance of what the Bible says. And, uh, and so he is not happy with people who say, thus saith the Lord. And this is going to happen over and over. And once we get presidents in one after the other that have that attitude, then justice will be turned upon its head. So... Uh, it's, we need to understand. Now, how do we then deal with these passages about God repenting? And this is very important for us to understand because it really gives us a, an intro into the heart of God. God responds to our changeability, okay? You see, God's reactions to us are all based on the fact He's unchanging. And so His attributes and who he is responds to our needs. And, and he will work and then change directions, not because he's changing, but we're changing, and he follows his uh, immutable attributes perfectly and his word perfectly. And so we see God respond to us every time, we do it according to God's word. Now, let's look at just some of these. His relationship with us is dependent upon his unchangeable attributes. His love, his mercy, long-suffering, all of these things. And, when, and how he adapts and works is based on the fact that he is who he is. You can count on it. Now, let me ask you. Did your father respond to you differently some days than other days? Now, your fathers were not perfect, right? And so they may have had their own issues, and that's ungodlike, okay? But many times, who was the factor in your father's uh, attitude towards you on any given day? You were, right? Man, you were a pest. I mean, some days you were just tremendous. Yes, sir, Dad, anything for you, you know? Other days, oh, brother, and you say, I was never that way. Well, we don't believe that because you're students here. <laughs> we, uh, we understand and uh, we have a little sympathy with your parents. No, really, we're quite impressed with you overall. And uh, that's why you're here. We're all working our way through. But the fact of the matter is, just like we see in the matter of the cheerful giver, he is the cheerful giver always. But he loves the cheerful giver. So God responds to the cheerful giver, which causes the cheerful giver to respond to God because he now sees God in his love, and there is now a growing relationship, but it is still all based upon the immutability of God's heart of love and giving. Do you see that? So um, it's really encouraging to know that God is consistent. Jonah 3.10. Well, let's go back to 1 Samuel 15.29. We know that God won't change, and also the strength of Israel will not lie nor repent. He is not a man that he should repent. 
Now that is speaking of man's type of changing, like I just talked about, uh, going one direction and then another arbitrarily or under pressure and not consistent with what is right and wrong. You'll see that in politics, you'll see that with the closest relationships you're in, and, uh, but God is not what, that way. However, you do have, for instance, speaking of uh, Nineveh, Jonah 3.10, and God saw the works that they turned from their evil way, and God repented of the evil that he had, he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Now, God sent Jonah to do what? Pre preach, repent. If they didn't, what was God going to do? He was going to destroy them. And there was power in Jonah, even though he wasn't the greatest prophet in the world. There was power when Jonah preached it. They got the message and they repented. So therefore, God changed what he was going to do from destruction to what? Forgiveness. Because who, who changed their thinking? Mankind. Does that make sense? God didn't change. Nineveh changed. And Nineveh changed, why? Because God didn't change. In other words, when they heard the preaching, the fear of God fell upon them, and they realized God meant what He said, and if they didn't turn from their sin, they were history. And so, it was His unchangeable attributes that caused him to repent based upon what he had said, you see. Uh, Genesis 6.6, 6, And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. You see, God created the heavens and the earth, and he did all of this, but sin came into the world. God had to begin to deal with mankind based upon his holiness and his justice, and it came to a point that all that God uh, desired to do, he could not do. He had to judge, but it was not based on anything arbitrary on his part. It was on the gross, demonic, satanically controlled society that was so wicked that we don't even still understand it as bad as our day is. Can you imagine an entire world of maybe a billion plus or more people, maybe even a lot more, with only, well, at the time when it first occurred, uh, there was only Noah and his wife. Two believers. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? Uh, it's going to be like the tribulation, when there's just going to be that total anger of Satan against God, and all of the manipulation, I think, personally, my own, it's my own opinion, that they even are messing with DNA of men. Is that uh, hard to understand today? And trying to control everything? I'm telling you, folks, we're one step away from the scientific world pr producing bizarre stuff in human beings. It's coming. And that's was what was happening back then. Those were brilliant people. And uh, so God didn't change. Mankind changed. God did not interfere with their free will. So what did God's justice demand? Destruction. And it grieved him. Now here's what I want you to see. As Ryrie carefully points out, he's not immobile and he's not passive. He grieved. Jesus wept. For we have a high priest, we do not have a high priest that is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's touched. 
So God's a very real person. And God is very much, he responds to us and responds to us according to the relationship we have and how we follow his word. But every response is still totally controlled by the immutability of who God is. But it does not take away. It's like, folks, how you respond to people when you're really spirit-filled and you're controlled by God. You're responding biblically, but you are responding according to how the other person's responding and to the circumstances, and you have a very personal interaction with a person. You multiply that by God, and that's how intensely personal God is. But the nice thing is, when I interact with God, I can count on the fact he doesn't change. <laughs> because I certainly would if I was dealing with me. And so that's very important uh, for us to understand. Um, if there was actually a change in God, then he would not be God. So uh, uh, Strong, the uh, theologian, said, God's immutability is not that of the stone that has no internal experience, but rather that of the column of mercury that rises and falls with every change in the temperature of the surrounding atmosphere. In other words, God's responding when a man bicycling against the wind turns about and goes with the wind instead of going against it, the wind seems to change, although it is blowing just as it did before. So our resp man's responses, and this, those are obviously not perfect illustrations, but it helps us understand God stays the same, but there's all kinds of ways our relationship change based upon our faith, lack of faith, what we do, what we believe, about God and act upon it, what we don't, and so forth. Now, his immutability consists in his always doing the right and adapting the treatment of his creatures to the variations in their character and conduct. Uh, the story of a Boy Scout leader who uh, had, he had a big camp out going on and uh, he had to go get something. Uh, and had to leave the boys for a little bit. So he put the senior top scout in charge, the oldest one and the one that he trusted the most, put him in charge of uh, handling all the other boys. And so he takes off to go get his car and then leave. He had to walk a little bit to get to it. So there's a bit of time that uh, he would be, uh, this guy would be in charge. And so once uh, uh, the scoutmaster was out of sight, uh, he started ordering the younger guys around, make, he may have him make his tent and bring him food and all kinds of stuff. And they said, no, wait a second. That's not the way it's supposed to work. And uh, our scoutmaster wouldn't do that. And he said, yeah, but he's not here. I'm here and I'm in charge now. And all of a sudden he looked, he was looking at the fellows and they were all smiling. And then he realized what they were smiling about. The scoutmaster had forgotten his keys and was standing a few feet behind him uh, listening to all that he was saying. Guess what happened? the scoutmaster changed his opinion about who should be the leader. And so he put another young man in charge. Now again, very incomplete illustration, but God responds according to who he is to what is going on. Jeremiah 18.8, If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do of them. Uh, it's wonderful. Joel 2.13, And rend your heart and not your garments, and turn to the Lord your God, for He's gracious and merciful, slow to anger. Aren't you thankful for that attribute? And of great kindness, and repenteth Him of the evil. Uh, and so 
he will turn from his justice to his mercy based upon the heart and what he has said about how man should respond to him. Uh, and, uh, and also, there is the response, and this is something you could spend an entire uh, devotional on, and that is, we just read it uh, a day ago, about uh, what the terrible sin of Israel. I, I just can't imagine. They had seen the lightning, and they had seen uh, the, the whole mountain Sinai burning with fire and the leadership had gone up into the mountain. They had actually seen the back parts of the glory of God. I mean, it was an amazing thing. Aaron was one of them. And to think that within a few days they would make a golden calf and then be having a horrible orgy around that. It's just an amazing thing. And so God says, let me, let me Alone, I'm gonna, my wrath will wax hot against them. I'll consume them, and I'll make of thee a great nation. But what, what did Moses do? All right, God, let them have it. <laughs> no, he exhibited the heart of God himself because he had been with God. And he has uh, that great intercession, blot me out of the book. And God said, no, I'll blot who I will. And, um, and, the, and so be, based upon that intercession, the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do to his people. So we have there God's mercy based even upon the intercession of someone. And, uh, and God still, did he judge a number of the people? Yes. Uh, were there some tough things that happened? Yes. But God responded in consistency with his attributes but was able to show mercy and work because a man stood between God and man as an intercessor. Uh, tremendous to see just how God responds to us. Now, having looked at that, let me just apply it in the last couple of minutes. He's changeless when it comes to his promises. This is shouting ground. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, or, uh, say the rest of it with me, shall be saved. All right? Did you call on the name of the Lord? You're saved, brother, sister. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we believe it not, yet he abideth faithful and he cannot deny himself. I don't understand all of that, but all I know is that uh, when God said, whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life, God, if we trust him, that's it. We can count on the promises of God. Isn't that a great security? When Satan loves to throw those... Uh, fiery darts of doubt at you. No, this, the Bible says it. Remember, the, the way that you have assurance of salvation is never to look at your performance. It's always to look at who Jesus is, what he did for you, and what the Word of God says. Case closed. And, uh, and that really does help. And, all, and then it's for every part of your life. Now, folks, if we get a hold of this, and this is a whole message unto itself, if we get a hold of the fact of the promises that we really do have in this New Testament age, folks, we, we wouldn't live like we do. It is incredible. I get convicted about it all the time. God wants to answer more prayer. God wants to do more things. He wants to deliver you far more than He's delivering you. Uh, Hebrews 4.1, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left of us entertaining, of entering excuse me, into His rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. You've probably uh, heard the illustration about uh, Crowfoot, the great 
chief of the Blackfoot Confederacy in uh, southern Alberta, up there in Canada. Um, he gave the Canadian Pacific Railroad permission to cause, cross their lands from Medicine Hat to Calgary. He was given a lifelong railroad pass. And so what did he do with the pass? He put it in a leather case and carried it around his neck for the rest of his life as a symbol of status, I guess. However, there's no record whatsoever that he ever rode on the, air, on the railroad and, and enjoyed getting to do that. And, uh, and, you know, I love my Bible. I love my Bible. You know, I love my Bible. This is, I'm a Christian. I'm a Bible-leading Christian. In fact, I even have the right version. I got the whole thing down. This is great. Wear it around your neck. Never ride on the promises of God. Man, oh, man. What we have is just, it's just unfathomable, the promises of God. And God's immutable. They're true. You know, I was with Brother Flanders. I can't remember what setting it is in. Uh, it was probably one of the bended knee conferences. Uh, but he went over those promises in John 14 about prayer. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Therefore I say to you, whatsoever I, you know, it's repeated. And I, you know how his characteristic leaning over, did it ever occur to you that Jesus means what he says? I don't know verses that have been more explained away than those verses. Folks, God's going to keep his promise. You go in Jesus' name to the Father about furthering the greater works that he wants you to do during this time. You are going to have answers to prayer. And it's just, it's just uh, fabulous to see God work that way. His promise for power. Some of you are from the, um, the Chin background here from Myanmar. I had the privilege of going to the Chen Hills and uh, had a wonderful conference with about 1,500 workers there. And um, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, some of the Hakka Chen were there and uh, some of the, oh, what's the other one? The, the main, what's that? Uh, Flom Chen were in and so forth. And we just uh, had a great time. But they were telling us, of course, of the mighty move of God several years before among the Hakka Chen and how they had gone into the mountains and, and claimed the promises of God for power. And guess what happened? God did it. Uh, it was one of the great revivals of modern time. And I saw the, I saw the aspects that I was there just a couple of years after that. And, you know, these people walked sometimes a, a week to get to that conference. And, you know, they were just glowing with the reality of God in their lives. Uh, God kept his promise. Wonderful to read the accounts of that. Uh, promises for victory. And uh, one big building in the 19th century was built um, in uh, Cleveland, Ohio from uh, unclaimed funds of people. <laughs> people had deposited uh, money and they, they had just left it there and then died, not done anything with it, never used it. And uh, there were so many funds that they were able to build a magnificent building. Uh, think of what it's going to be like when we get to heaven and realize all the treasures of God's promises that we, did, we just didn't cash in. It's just, you know, the Lord's going to say, what, what were you doing? You know, all bound up by yourself? I'm unchanging. I keep my promises. The promise for a harvest. You know, we quote that often. Is there a white harvest? Is there a plentiful harvest? Is there? 
in any age, in any culture? Is there one around here? Is there one around your home? You better believe there is. And God's unchanging. He's working. His promise to give you joy 24-7. Your joy would be full. I love the story of Pilgrim's Progress where Christian leaves the main highway. He was told not to, and he gets uh, caught by giant despair. Remember that? And he's in the doubting castle, and he is just about to kill himself. He's so unhappy, and the giant is tormenting him. And, and it looks like this, he had, Christian had finally been conquered. Then hope, Christian's command, commandion, reminds him of previous victories. So guess what they did? They started to pray. And when they started to pray... All of a sudden, Christian interrupted, uh, and he said, um, What a fool I am, thus to lie in a stinking dungeon, when I may as well be at liberty. I have a key in my bosom called promise that will, I am persuaded, open any lock in Doubting Castle. Hopeful said, Well, that's good news, good brother. Pluck it out of thy bosom and try. And the prison gates flew open. And, And that's what happens to all the time, doubting. Worrying, you know, self-accusations, feeling your weakness, when all the time you've got the promises of God and the gates will fly open. Now here's the final thought. Who indwells you? God, the Spirit of God. Is his attribute immutability also? We are to live Christ's life, right? Is Christ immutable? The same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, folks, you know, we talk about character. We talk about uh, all this matter of maturity and growth. I got good news for you. You have God's immutability as your resource. The unchanging God who always loves, who is always merciful, who always manages time right. The God who responds and is holy and uh, never fails and keeps his word is the God that indwells you. And when he is in charge, let me say this carefully, when he is truly in control, you're immutable at that point. You can be unchanging. Did you know the more you yield to the Holy Spirit, your character will change? Listen, what we need today are young people that keep their word. We need young people that finish the job. We need young people that are consistent and and not up and down and not controlled by emotions. You say, is that possible? Yes, it is. Not in your humanity, obviously, but the fact that the immutable God of the universe indwells you. That is, speaking of shouting ground, that's a great thing. And think about it. When you're walking with the Lord... Can't you uh, look back and say, you know, I really did have some hours. I was, I was very consistent. I was thinking right. I had the right perspective because God was in charge. And so it's a, it's a great blessing. As we talked about earlier, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So I just wanted to encourage you today. Your God is a great God. He's immutable. He's unchanging. Count on it. When those doubts come, those frustrations, when you're down on yourself, when things seem hopeless, all of these things, uh, the problem is not God. It's just you're not looking to Him. And it will change your ministry when you leave, when you know 
my God believes as and he, what he has given to us in the word is what he believes and he isn't changing and I'm not changing. I just want to be closer and closer to what he says and I got to keep growing and understanding. But I am with the immutable God. And my friends, he'll never let you down. You'll go through trials. He will always do what he said he will do. He will answer prayer. He will give you the power you need. He will enable your gifting. He is a God that will do right. And as you respond to him, as, as he may be having to let you bear the, the harvest of your wrong decisions, he will repent in the sense that he will then give you everything that he promised because you've now lined up with him. It's never God leaving you, you leave God. So praise the Lord. You know, it's not exactly one of those subjects that uh, when you first hear about it, it just thrills you, but it ought to thrill you, the depths of your soul. Man, you are secure. I don't care what happens. I don't care what happens in this political race. I don't care what happens in our country. we got an immutable God. The God is on the, God is on the throne, as Psalm 2 said, and he laughs at what's going on. You can count on him. You're on the victory side. Jesus has won the victory. Satan has been crushed. And we've got to just rise up and just thank God, meditate on an unchanging God. Lord, would you encourage hearts here, bless each of these young people. Would you take the simple truth and yet profound truth of your immutability and use it for practical good in each of their lives, I pray now in Jesus' name. Amen.